How do we join with others to achieve and experience more and get in flow as a unified team? This is the question we ask each episode in the Unified Team podcast. Here's your host, Rob McPhillips. Can you just give us a quick overview of who you are, what you do? Who I am, what I do. I'm based in Brisbane in Australia. I lived here for more than 30 years. We first came here when I was a little boy. So I was brought up here in this country. And so it was in the mid-90s. It was my sister and I and the family, and we finished school here. And during that time, we've learned a lot about cultural differences and reconciling that between our upbringing, who we are, and uh, how that is informed by, not just by the older members of the family, but also there's a faith aspect to that. And we're up in a country where predominantly at the time we are we are considered as minorities. And nonetheless, we've gone past that. And now we are seeing communities where it's diverse. We are working towards inclusivity. And it's a multicultural place. And now I find myself leading a team at from distance. It's a multicultural, multi-generational team of people who are hardworking and I lead them remotely. I've got people based in Australia, right across the country, and here in Brisbane leading a diverse team. I love working with people and uh, my education background is in, is in uh, people management, HR and leadership. And I love working with people and throughout all the time, learn about um, how you lead people and manage change and how do you do that well and how do you, for me, as part of my upbringing, the core values that I've been brought up with are things like curiosity. So learning is one of my core values. Respect, learning and being respectful, tactfulness and diplomacy. So you did you say it was you came to the country at five? When I was little, yeah, I lived the first ten years of my life in Southeast Asia in Singapore, and yeah, so yeah, came there when I was ten. So what was that like moving to a a different continent? different country yeah look uh, at the time being a 10 year old boy there wasn't really much to think about the only things the only elements that i miss was my family extended family and uh, a bunch of close friends uh, they were the two main elements that i miss in retrospect but otherwise i'm always a forward-looking optimistic kind of person i make friends easily i make connections and that's not a problem but it's the people who I leave behind that's a bit of a struggle. So what was it like to, so you left behind, so that must have been like a very traumatic experience and then having to, I'm guessing, having to adjust to somewhere very different. Yeah, it, it was. And being introduced to a new community as well, where you don't know them, they don't know you, it starts from scratch. The things that got me through, things that's been taught to me since I was little, being forward-looking and build up, being optimistic. And that has an overlay of a, a, a faith aspect to that, Rob. Knowing who you are, who you belong to, and, and knowing what's in your heart and who's walking with you day to day, the belief system and the support structures that's been put, been put around me by my parents and, and the faith community has really got me through the tough times here. So you have a very close family and a very tight-knit community of faith. 
Yes, absolutely. That's right. And I think those are the essential elements uh, now looking back on how I adapted and adjusted to a new lifestyle, new way of living and a different, even a new way of learning as well. But- so what I'm imagining is there's like this bubble around you and this bubble moved. So even though it's different friends, different school, different community, different world, you've still got the core, which made you feel that you were safe yeah that's right it, it's like your venn diagram or, or ikigai different yeah. circles and it all culminates or there's an area where the circles overlap and that's the core of who i am and having ownership of that and knowing that belongs to me how that's worked through and the connection i have with people right left up and down everywhere and that yeah and that culminates into the center circle of uh, who i am knowing that has kept me safe and well. Okay. So that was coming at that age. It was obviously something that impacted you. I see a link between that and what you do now. Is that, do you, are you, do you see that link? I, I do see, yeah, I, I haven't intentionally sat down and, and done a reflection, but now as you ask the question, there is definitely a link somewhat to my upbringing, who I am and where it's led me. And perhaps maybe even where I'm going next, the fact that my family, strong networks, strong support structures, it's all made up of people uh, and people who love other people in their family. And so when I come across others, that mindset has been instilled in me, assume positive intentions. And the philosophy in my leadership is not being about the best, it's about making others better. And that has also been informed by people who have brought me up during my childhood and the kindness others have shown to me and it's a way of paying that forward, paying that back and also growing up in a society where it's multicultural, it's multi-generational and that has informed me in the way I interact with others. Now I find myself leading a team of people who are diverse, who who come from different cultural aspects and people who you know, of age bracket where people at one end of, of the age bracket where they're like my mum and dad to people who are really young, you know, as young as someone who could be my younger sister or being able to work right across a continuum of where people find themselves at, you know, at a certain point in time in their lives. And that's what I think has made me you know, successful in my role. Because what I'm getting strongly from you is very much about the awareness of different cultures, awareness of all kinds of areas of diversity. And you seem able to take that and make it all work together, which I think is one of the challenges that people face. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Yeah. Okay. So you come to to Brisbane and you grow up there. What happens between coming to Brisbane and where you are now? The Brisbane to where I am now, it, it's the formative years of my education, learning about how the world functions, the world of business. So having that the technical expertise in what does it mean, leading people to manage change, what are the tools and skill sets that you need, learning the different techniques, and even the legislative landscape that governs so much what we do whether something is something that can be done or not. So learning about all that, so having that technical component coupled with my, if you like to call it cultural 
awareness or, or emotional intelligence, yeah, combining all that in what I do today. To your point too, Rob, like leading a team in person physically is different to leading a team from a distance in the different facial expressions or words that people use over a screen, having the awareness to think about whether something brewing or festering or going on when that person is based working in isolation. What is the beginning? What is the tone that they are using? Is there something else that's going on that we are that as a manager you're not aware of? Um, being cognizant of all that and resolving the conflict that they are facing, that they are that the challenges that come up with when they are working in isolation, whether it's work volumes that you don't actually see when you're not in person, but it's through the regular check-ins and one-on-ones, having the awareness, the questions that you ask to draw people to to give you the, the response that you need to know. It's a combination of all that, along with the education and the technical awareness, technical expertise, and so all of that combined. Okay, that's that sounds fascinating. The, so when you talk about technical expertise, so you develop the technical expertise and then you got promoted into the role as the leader of the team. Yeah, it's the technicalities in my role, what I'm required in, in the previous role, in, in the current role, there is overlap, but there isn't a direct link. In my previous role, I was actually in HR management. And in managing in HR, you need to know how the employment laws of the land, the labour laws, the legislative landscape that governs your advice, what you can or the advice that you give to managers, what you can and can't do, there's anti-discrimination laws, all these other, the lay of the land that you need to be aware of to, to give sound advice so that was my previous role in the current role it's more about using the knowledge the transferable skills that you've got in interpreting legislation in understanding how the uh, what do you call them the the law book you interpret all that so it's this interpretation skills taken taking that and applying that skill set in my current role if you know what i mean so there's no direct transfer understanding employment laws but it's a skill in doing that in my current job that so one word that comes to mind is compliance how do you comply with for example when you work with children what are the compliance needs that we need to meet okay and the other thing that i'm really interested in is so when you moved roles was it always remote or has it become remote since then? It has become remote since I come to a come to this current role. In a previous role, it's dispensing advice. You can do that over the phone. In a sense, that's remote, even though the managers were advised the same city that I'm in. But because they're on the road, it's hard to come together and meet in person. In this current role, there's like the day-to-day requirements of leading a team and managing change. And that's all based remotely. And people who are actually based outside of Brisbane, who are not in the city that I live in. So in that sense, yeah, it's directly remote. As you mentioned, there's a whole host of ways it, it becomes more challenging when it's remote because normally you can see someone's body language and you can tell okay, they're having a bad day. It's much harder to do it through email or even over Zoom or Teams or whatever. So tell me about some of the challenges and what you've learned, because I'm guessing you you would have learned a lot from that process. Yeah, 
when the saying out of sight, out of mind, and there's this bias called proximity bias, where you, if someone is not close to you, they, you tend to forget, you tend to leave them out of your mind because they're not there in your presence. So the key is being aware of the different biases that's in your head or that can be that can play out in remote work settings so this is being aware of that and so now that you're aware of that what are you going to do about it so when you're leading people and managing change you have to be cognizant of who your stakeholders are and one of the things i have to do is to actually even if it's a, a 10 15 minute exercise and actually consciously without any noise around you Pull up a, a Word document and actually who your stakeholders are. Who needs to be, who's responsible for this thing? Who is accountable for this task? Who do I need to consult? Who needs to be kept informed? So mapping out your stakeholders in that way. And now that you know about the biases that could carry you in when you're leading remotely, think about your teams. Um, don't forget about your team um, into your stakeholder mapping. And actually then from there, what you do is then you actually need to take action, scheduling one-on-one, scheduling team meetings, scheduling check-ins. And the other aspect is communicate and be as transparent as you can. Consult with your team or repeat your stakeholders. And before big major key decisions are made, ask for their feedback. I know these are all, it, it could, it makes sense. But it's surprising how easily some of these elements can fall on the wayside. So that's one of the things that, that I've learned is self-aware and then leading your team. And when your team comes together, you see a bunch of them, Brady Bunch format on screen. And some people who are outspoken, they will always give you something to think about. And in that setting, don't be afraid to draw the quieter ones into the discussion. And linking back to what I just said before, Rob, about the cultural awareness piece, some people might not, there are certain groups of people who value respect so much in such a way that they don't feel that it's their place to leave themselves unmute or unmute themselves and, and jump in or interrupt. They need to be invited into the space to talk. So be aware of that. Draw them into discussion. Ask others, others to pause. And ask specifically for that person who's been quiet and ask for their opinion and feedback. Being aware of all that, I think, is such a key when we are talking about diversity and, and inclusion and talking about innovation, because you don't want to build something that only serves a, a, a specific group of people. You want it to cater for a wider group. Yep, invite that feedback, talk about it. Yeah, and be cognizant and aware of uh, how you behave and how you operate. So yeah, what the top third of you, there's a rest of the body language that you don't see. So just being aware of what you're hearing, the active listening component is key as well uh, in this setting. I think the sorry, bias is so important because it's like people are friends with parents of other people that they, their kids go to school with. And as soon as they finish school, most of that friendship goes. And when you leave work, however much you got along, relationships usually dwindle down because they're not around. So that's that makes sense in terms of you, your relationship to them. What about the team's relationship to themselves when it's over Zoom and they do you ever meet up? Yeah, that's great, Rob. And there are such things as Slack and Teams and, you know, the different channels that Google group chats where, you know, you can 
develop channels for the teams to interact with each other. And for sure, and that's something that we've instill for the last two and a half years. The chats in the channels can be a bit quiet, but then now it's the different stages of group formation, team formation, forming, storming, norming, performing. And now we are in that norming stage. Now I find that people are actually getting involved in the group chats, starting discussions, asking questions. And pretty soon, I think we'll go into the, if you're not already, we're in the performing stage. Yeah. So utilizing those channels and group chats to foster further collaboration and questions. Yeah. And even those incidental ones, like what are cooler chats? Like we just had a team member come back from the Americas and we're showing us some photos and talking about his experience in America, even though it's all on the chat. But we can just imagine how beautiful that place was and how frustrating you lose a luggage or how beautiful it is you come across the Grand Canyon. So it's beautiful to see. That technology in some ways distances us, but in others, it's like you can FaceTime someone who's actually there and actually see it as in the same way. So oh, this is a perfect example, Rob. Here I am in Brisbane, bright sunny day. And <laughs> you, where are you? Cass- yeah, I, I'm in Ipswich. I'm on the East Coast, about an hour out from London. Mm-hmm. Uh, it o'clock London middle of the night over there yes i have to ask you a question this is the debate that's raging on at the moment but so there's a lot of companies that are now wanting people to be back in the office and there's lots of people that have got strong opinions about in person everyone should be back in the office where do you fall on that where i fall on the continuum is and i've tasted the fruits of both during lockdown where everything 100% remote and we are you know due to the circumstances of the pandemic we're all working remotely uh, and now that as restrictions slip we in my personal work setting we there's at least two days a week majority of you people come in one day a week personally I go in three days a week so the flexibility is there for a hybrid working arrangement uh, and personally I feel that the hybrid working arrangement works well for, and I'm speaking for myself, my personality type, the interactions I need, and for my particular role as well, being in the office, I just know what I need to get done, the files that I need in the office, the people and the resources that I need in the office, the interactions as well, being to mingle with people who are in the office to encourage each other, to lift each other up. They are essential aspects in, yeah, and building relationships. And the remote piece, it works on the other, on the flip side of the coin, being having that time to focus and concentrate, to write my papers, to finish my emails, to make some calls without that interruption. Those ones where people walk past your desk and go, can I pick your brains? Did you know about this? Those, yeah. Yeah, so those kind of interruptions are removed and distractions are removed. And then, yeah, so for me, the hybrid working arrangement, yeah, works really well. I think, though, from an employer perspective, rather than mandating having that consult with your workforce, thinking about how you can accommodate the flexibility request the flexible needs of the from the employee's perspective and marry that up with the employer's needs of building culture, building teams, building relationships. If there's a compromise that can be found, that will be the most ideal in terms of for managing your talent, attracting talent. It's good for your talent pool and yeah, the continuity of your business. Yeah, I, I agree. I think individually, I think different people obviously prefer different things, but I think the mix, the hybrid of 
being able to have access to work and because what home can give you is you can do deep work, deep thinking. What work can give you is like the interaction, the collaboration and access to everything you need. Um, you talked about managing change, managing initiatives. What do you see are the biggest problems? What are the biggest challenges? The biggest challenge in managing change is it's not about whether you've got a change plan, whether you've got your strategy, vision papers and all that. The, the most difficult thing about managing change, for me personally, where, where, where I, how do I say this? The, it's not a baggage. It's a historical... Okay, so for example, we talk about change. Okay, what are we changing? Usually we change people, systems, or process. People, systems, or process. So let's, let's talk about people and systems. Okay, you're introducing a new system. So that, so you've got to have a vision of why piece. Why are you introducing a new system? When the previous system that, from an employee's perspective, using previous system has worked well, has served as well. Why do I need to change? So having that vision drawn out, okay, so we can grow the business, we can scale, we can multiply, so that you can remove a, a process that you've been doing quite some time. So speaking of process, okay, and when we change, we're also changing, we might be changing a process. Why are we changing a process? And that's, from an employee's perspective, that's what they know, what they're used to, what they know. And when you're introducing change, they'll be asking why, what for, how is it going to help me? So having the ability to step into the employees or the team's shoes and to draw that vision out for them and speak in their terms, why? There's some changes I've been involved in. They talk about from a business perspective, you will reduce operating costs, it will be more efficient, effective, so on and so forth. Yeah, but for me as a worker, I don't care. I, I just want to come home, do my job, and something that I know, love doing, and I know how to do it well. So speaking on behalf of that perspective, but why? The most challenging thing from a design thinking process perspective, how do you be person-centered? How do you become other-centered? So the resistance to your initiative for change will be smoothed out and reduced significantly. Because the questions I'll be asking is, Oh, have you thought about this or have you thought about that? What about this thing that I'm doing? So bringing up a lot of issues, questions and concerns. So if you're able to spend in their shoes, talk in their terms, the resistance, I think, will, should somewhat dramatically reduce. Have you always been on board with the change or is sometimes the change that you disagree with personally? Yeah, there are things that I, there are some changes throughout my working life that I agree with. And there are some changes that's been imposed on me personally. What the things that I agree with, things I found, that things that have been that are things that that people have brought to my attention and talked to me about. And no matter how long I, I, I've taken come around to that decision, I've kind of been on board with those ones that's been imposed on me that I don't quite agree with, but I have to go along with it is because I have a strong sense of team. I'm also part of this team. And this team is going in a certain direction and it requires me to be on board so that we can all be unified. So that thinking from an organization perspective, from a team, we are stronger. The tagline is we are stronger together. And seeing the ability to see that and let go of my own personal interests and work with the team. And that's those changes being imposed on me. I would go along and that's the mindset that I, that I apply.
to go along with the change. In terms of when you're leading the change, when you've then presented it and you've presented it in everyone's interest, do you still, people innately have a lot of resistance to change. And do you, is that a big barrier? That can be a barrier. People's, people are resistant to change. It is it, just from a leadership perspective, you just need to understand why. What's causing them to be resistant to that? Is it because they're finding it hard to let go? Is it because we haven't talked to them enough about it? So the question I ask myself in relation to someone else's resistance to change, I'll be asking myself, what's my role in this? How do I help them? How do I be, how do I, how do I help them? What's my responsibility in helping them overcome the resistance? What's the barrier there? Can I remove it for them? I would ask myself, how can I help? Rather than the easier way out is pointing the finger at back at them and say, you need to get over it. You need to so and so forth, blah, blah, blah. It's about you. For me, it's not about that, but it's about me. How do I help them get over the heart, get over the resistance? And that obviously comes back to your strong sense of faith and that whole, not sure how I phrase this, but could you talk about a bit about the philosophy or the frame that that comes from? Sorry, I lost you there. So you said that there, there's a strong faith element. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for me, I think what someone's faith is shows the map of that they're working from. And so that's about being future focused, about being community based, about being optimistic. So I'm guessing it's all of those things. Yes. Is there anything in that I've missed? Yeah, it's all of those. And on top of that is what is my is what's my interest? Can I put my interest aside to help the other person? So instead of coming to a meeting or array or making an arrangement to to meet my own agenda, meet my own need, the mindset is that I apply is okay. I know what I need to achieve, what the outcomes are I want, and this is the mandate that I have to fulfill. But let's put that aside now and talk to you, talk to each other as human beings, and go. All right, what? What's causing you to feel this way about this change? What are the elements that we've missed? Is there something that you find hard to leave behind? So having that conversation, share stories with each with one another, take on their feedback. If it's possible to act on that, their concerns, make sure you do it because that's from a psychological safety perspective, that's what you want to do is to hear the other perspective, take on that feedback. If you can act on it, resolve their, their issues, do that. Because they'll foster even more trust and they'll come around to the change that you're trying to implement. Yeah, and that's the other faith aspect as well is how do you become, how do you be more person-centered rather than be driven by the agenda? Just before you go, I'd just like to get your opinion on, so you're right on the, on the forefront of kind of, we've gone from physical work, remote work. Where do you see the future being in the next yeah, the future of the workplace. The future of the workplace is even going to be even more dynamic. It's not just the the debates raging about remote or hybrid, but don't forget there's also the four-day week that I think it was, what, 12 months ago that was raging, compressed five days. Why are we working five days? Doing four days. So that's that aspect. I'm already seeing signs of that. The workplace chatting with other managers employees have come forward and asked for a nine-day fortnight or working four days, having one day off as annual leave. And as technology improves, how are we going to grapple with all of that flexibility that people want? 
But then from a business continuity perspective, how do we keep our customers satisfied? How do we keep our innovations going when there are people working five days, are people working nine days, four nights, working four day weeks, some hybrid and some remote and virtual reality could be coming soon as well. How do we wrestle with all that? I think it will be yeah, the work of the future. Interesting times. It is. And it's ironic though, but the more that things change, the more we need the stability of the fundamentals to stay the same. And I can see why you're successful in being able to bring about change and being able to keep together a remote team. And what I see is that whole faith, that sense of community, that strong set of principles is what gives you the mandate you said and the strength, but kind of a moral strength. And I can see, I think the more everything else changes out in the world, the more we need that fundamentals. And I can see a direct link from the way that you were raised within what I see as like a cocoon and brought out that's given you a strong firm base. Okay, thank you for, for sharing your time and your experience and your insights. It's been fascinating to see someone who's making change happen in the cutting edge. You're welcome, Rob. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. Please like, share, subscribe, and leave a review so we can spread more flow and unify teams. If you're on LinkedIn, please connect with me, Rob McPhillips.